to the world of digital sound. Hello there, good people of the internet. Welcome, welcome. This is Ken. This is the Ken Burton Show podcast story. And I haven't done one for a couple of weeks, but I've been really busy. Guys, I've been up to my arse and shit, you know. Uh, I'm doing some advisory work at the moment, and I can't really talk about it. I'm not allowed to talk about it, but it is... um, Can I say this? It's uh, for the government... Yeah, I guess so. Some consultancy work. And uh, it's been really interesting during the time I've been doing it. And uh, it ends uh, in the next couple of weeks, I think, where a final report needs to go into someone or other. So anyway, it's it's been a, a quite a blast, actually, doing that. Um, I had no idea there is a servant's entrance at the House of Commons. <laughs> Oh dear, you just wait. The old select committee is going to be out there in force. Um, bloody key fast. Right, okay. Podcast story for this week. And uh, let me just start off by uh, giving you the disclaimer. All some, many parts, none, all of, bits of. This podcast story may or may not be true. It is up to you, the listener, to decide whether or not you think it is or any part of it is. And uh, your comments, please, are very welcome. If I don't get comments, I don't think anybody's watching or listening. (laughs) So um, please do leave a comment on the intro video on the Ken Burton Show YouTube channel. Uh, Thank you. Right. Okay. So disclaimers over and all names in this one, because there are names in this one, uh, have been changed. I've had to change them. Um, Now, oh, God. I was reminded of this one after watching a news report on uh, Birmingham and the changing face of Birmingham and uh, Vice, particularly in Birmingham, which, you know, has moved out of kind of Cheddar Road now. Um, I think, I'm not sure if Cheddar Road still exists. You'll have to have a look at it. I'll just explain to you. Cheddar Road was... Uh, the UK's Amsterdam. It was a single road in Birmingham where all of the ladies of the night would um, basically sit in the front windows and parade their wares and then guys would go in and screw them. And uh, it was opposite a kind of a, a grassed area, a communal park area or whatever it was. And there'd be loads of people sat in this park area. And it was... uh, (coughs) For us, it was one of these, um, I don't know, entry-level sort of things that we used to do to people sometimes. (laughs) You know where you you get the new boy starts at the uh, works and you send him off to go and get a tin of tartan paint or a bubble for a spirit level? Um... (laughs) Uh, you'd you'd say to um, uh, one of the new lads that you're working with, uh, I need to get a, um, uh, a a black hooker, uh, but it needs to be a black one, you know. And they'd say, what the fuck is a black hooker? Oh, you don't know what a hooker, for Christ's sake, man. It's like you need it to hook parcels off the, the rail. Or, you know, oh, right, OK. Uh, you can go and get one at uh, whatever number, Cheddar Road in Birmingham. Can you zip off and go and get me one? <laughs> Turn up. <laughs> Cheddar Road, which would be just... The whole street was prostitutes. The whole street. Um, prostitutes sat in windows and he knocked on the door and said, I need a black hooker. <laughs> Oh God, it used to be so funny. Anyway, so um, but let me t- let me uh, just tell you about 
what it was like back in Coventry, and we are going back now to the 80s. Well, Vice uh, in Coventry was, oh God, it was it was bizarre, really. There was, there was two very distinct sets of Vice girls. Um, there would be the ones that would be, um, I'm trying to think of where they were now. Um, oh shit, I can't think of the name of it. I really can't, sorry. Uh, there used to be a, a, a very old DIY store up there in that area, and there was a pub on a corner next to a park. Um, but and then some blocks of flats. I cannot remember it for Christ's sake. My memory, Jesus. Okay, well those were the street hookers, and it was also where you'd find all the drug dealers. And uh, there were maybe five or six different roads that you could drive up and down. It's all been sorted out now. They they all um, they all got their shit together. The council and everyone else and community people, and they blocked all the roads off, so you can't actually drive down the roads. And in fact, that's exactly what they did in Cheddar Road in Birmingham. They blocked it off so you can't just drive down it. You need to drive down it, turn around and come back, you know. And that is, it makes it pretty obvious for the massive police cameras that are about. So anyway, so two sets of hookers that there used to be. Uh, those would be the street hookers and those would be the girls that would be, um, for my mind anyway, I mean, bear in mind that drugs in those days very few people were into hard drugs there were heroin addicts uh no cocaine cocaine was far too expensive back then there was no such thing as crack uh so you had basically spliffs and cannabis and you had uh some pills i think i can't remember if e was around at that time anyway you had some pills and then you had heroin for the for the seriously fucked up and um, you can instantly tell the girls that are on heroin. You, you, you just, you know, you wouldn't get near them anyway. But a lot of the girls, and certainly a lot of the ones that I knew, uh, were basically doing it out of, it's a job, you know. It's a job. That's how they earn their money. They might be single parents. Uh, they might be on benefits. They might be trying to get out of a hole uh, with, you know, debt. And they'd go out there and use their bodies. And uh, a lot of the girls I spoke to at the time, I know nowadays it's all different. Nowadays they're all fucking cokeheads, you know. And they're all crackheads. And, oh, Christ, you wouldn't get near one if you, you know. But back in those days, these were girls that were very, very sensible, in fact. They had they had a, a, an incredible work ethic. And considering what they were doing for a living... <coughs> It always used to amaze me. And that's how I earned, you know, this this incredible respect for these girls that were doing exactly what they were doing. You think of, like, the, yeah, what they were doing was dangerous and they were selling their bodies. So what does a boxer do? You know, he goes out and does something dangerous and sells his body, his skill at being able to fight. They sell their skill in being able to fuck. You know, or, you know, and I didn't really see a distinction. I didn't really see a difference. And the sort of girls that I met were the sort of girls that were nice girls. They were okay. They were just supplementing their income by doing this. And I'll finish burping now. Thank you. So let's um, move on to the other side of the coin. 
And the other side of the coin was completely different. The other side of the coin was proper vice, organised, managed. And this was the massage parlour vice, the um, party girl vice, that sort of side of it. And that was all managed by the family. And if you've never heard one of my podcasts before, I suggest you go and listen to all of them and you'll understand what I mean by the family. Uh, But that was something that was managed. And if there was a party going on um, and, you know, and we're talking high-end businessmen, out-of-town businessmen, politicians, local councillors, MPs, all all of these guys... Uh, if there was a particular party, the girls that would be there serving the cocktails would be vice girls. And uh, they'd all be hookers and they could all be used at any point. Uh, they were they tended to be quite posh. A lot of them anyway. Back in those days they did. Uh, they, they were extremely attractive girls. And... Um, they, that's what they did for a living. And a lot of them made a serious amount of money. I mean, one one particular girl who I met... Christ. <coughs> I met her because she was... Uh, she was in Park Lane, right, the nightclub. And uh, she was getting hassled by somebody. And a friend of mine went over there and said, is everything all right? And the guy went, why don't you fuck off your toe rack? And my mate nutted him. And uh, it turned out that this guy was councillor somebody or other. And uh, when the cops turned up and all that lot, because he caught the cops, they were more interested in what he was doing with a hooker than they were about the smacking his nose from my mate, which was always good news. Uh, so anyway, those two uh, kind of got together. He sort of stayed in touch. He didn't go out with her or anything. He just sort of stayed in touch with her. I think they went out for a few drinks, but there was nothing, you know, never anything in it. And um, she ended up going with uh, some guy who was over doing some business over here. And he took her back to New York, set her up in a New York apartment. And uh, she stayed in touch with my mate for ages, for years. And she had a fantastic life as the mistress of this guy. You know, she had a great bunch of friends. She went out all the time. Three times a month, <clears throat> this geezer would turn up in town, fuck her, and then he'd move off and go and do something else. And, you know, she had a great car. She had a great life. She had travel. She had all of this stuff. It was amazing. Uh, anyway, you know, glamorous side of hooking. I'm not trying to glamorise it in any way. But um, the family managed all the vice. Okay, so we move from just uh, street hookers to vice. The two are very distinctive and they are very, very separated. One is professionally managed and the other one is not. So anyway, part of the service that uh, the family's businesses used to offer was the escort services where they would have girls who, you know, that you could phone a number into an escort agency and a girl would get sent out, you know, usual thing. And uh, what they did was they did this with a string of taxis. There were a whole bunch of taxi drivers who were on the payroll, the family's payroll. And these guys uh, basically could earn extra money by sitting there and doing fuck all. They they basically, I mean, the girls would be paid for an hour and the guy would turn up at a hotel um, and 
he would sit, you know, and wait for, you know, wait for the girl to come out, and then he'd drive her home. He'd drive her there, he'd drive her home. If anything got really crazy, if she didn't come out after the hour, he'd be in there. You know, it was that it was that sort of thing. So anyway, this particular time uh, that me and the boys were doing our thing, doing our repos, hanging around, doing the odd job here and there, just earning a quid, um, we got a call along with, Christ, there must have been maybe 30 of us when we were asked to meet up in one of the warehouses, which we did, a family warehouse. So we all turned up. I can't remember what day it was, but we all turned up and uh, there was a load of us and there was loads of beers there and, you know, sandwiches and stuff. And it was like a, <laughs> a little bit bizarre in those days, really, because like the family, the one particular member of the family, um, he, he was a fag end member of the family, but his missus was a bit, oh, I don't know, she was she wasn't common. She was just, she wasn't gangster, if you know what I mean. She was just, just like your mum and uh whenever we go to one of these things she'd be there with the sandwiches <laughs> hello love do you want a sandwich do you want a sandwich love <laughs> yeah okay we've all turned up here to potentially be told uh right guys there's a contract out go and kill this bloke and she's walking around going do you want a sandwich do you want a sandwich love oh she was funny anyway um and she was great you know she was great loved her a bit uh, there's another story about her actually, and uh, <laughs> somebody tried to somebody tried to uh, grab her bag in town, and the problem was that she was um, with uh, three, four of the family's guys helping them to buy suits for a particular job. So she's there with four of the burliest motherfuckers you ever saw in your life. And somebody tried to grab a bag in British home stores. Oh, Jesus. I'm not sure they ever found all the pieces of the bloke. <laughs> he got the shit kicked out of him like you wouldn't believe. Anyway, right. We're at the warehouse. And um, we all stood around. And uh, one particular guy gets on a box. Let's call him Greg. Greg gets on the box. <coughs> and he says, uh, guys, um, you've been called here because you are the trusted okay you're in the circle we can talk to you and we know that you guys have all done stuff for us before and you've never let us down we need to rely on that during a period of problems that we've got and he went on to explain to us that basically there were maybe three possibly more of these taxi drivers who were doubling up and they were also reporting all of the activity to the cops and the problem was that the cops just knew too much information and too many of the girls were getting arrested and uh you know they didn't they didn't know who it was but there was a there was at least 30 of these taxi drivers that were doing this and, of course, the problem was, because they didn't know who, they had to let them all go until they could work it out and deal with it and then bring people back in. So during the interim period, what they needed were drivers. They needed people to basically ferry these girls. Now, that's 
not really up my street and then if it did turn a bit leery it wasn't really up my street to go and uh do the nasty uh you know because i i was never i was never big enough to be an intimidating guy you know i mean i remember once um getting into a row with a guy who was well over six foot built like a brick shit house and he said to me you know you and i are going to have a problem mate and i was like yeah okay well that's fine he said what do you mean that's fine he said if i fucking take you i will rip you apart I said yep you probably will but i'd like to see you stop my car at 50 miles an hour and he kind of got the message <laughs> Oh, no morals, no scruples. <clears throat> Use whatever is to hand. Um, so anyway, we were all given uh, a piece of paper with a number on it. And uh, basically, those were the girls that we were going to be looking after. And it was only going to be for a week. Started on the Saturday, it would end on the following Saturday, midnight to midnight. And that was the handover. So anyway, the girl I was with, I'm going to call her Cheryl. And uh, <laughs> she, she was such a tart. I mean, she she went to a posh school. And there was a, a, a very posh girl school down in Tile Hill. And she went there. And uh, mummy and daddy were quite, you know, well-to-do. But she wanted the glamour. She wanted, basically, to uh, live the life. She wanted the Miami. She wanted the New York, the Paris. And she was waiting for that to happen, I think. She was incredibly attractive. So out of my league. So out of my league. Uh, a point which she kept reminding me over and over again. And... She dressed like a tart, but she dressed very expensively. Uh, and she was thin. And that's all I can say about it, really. I mean, I can't. She was blonde. That's all I can say about it. I would get a phone call from her. I would pick her up. I would take her to a hotel or whatever. I would wait outside. She'd be in the back of the car. She'd never get in the front. I would take her to whatever hotel wait there one hour she would come out of the hotel I'd drive her back to wherever or I might drive her to her next job and uh, this went on for two or three days first two or three days she was really fucking frosty with me really frosty you know and she, she was kind of insulting to an extent but that you know girls like that kind of are that she she was beautiful but she knew it you know and she rammed it down your throat all the time you know and it was kind of a don't you wish you could get a girl like me sort of thing and I was like nah not really love <laughs> I prefer girls with a personality and pre preferably not a whore um I'm, oh god I remember um <laughs> I remember I was in the car with her once this was kind of three days in and she was just starting to relax 
and uh, she said something about, you know, what do you think to this dress and all the rest of it? And I said, yeah, you look fantastic. She went, yeah, yeah. So to, you so want this. I know you do. You so want this. Or maybe I'll give you a little bonus at the end of your... <laughs> oh, God's sake. Um, and I said to her, can I ask you a question? She said, yeah. I said, would you sleep with me for a million pounds? And she went, yes, of course I would. I said, would you sleep with me for a pound? She went, no, the fuck do you think I am? I said, I thought we'd already established that. It was just the price we were negotiating. <laughs> oh, fuck. Thing is, she was too thick to get it, I think. Uh, but anyway, so this went on for a week. At the end of my week, me and Cheryl parted ways. Uh, she didn't say she didn't once say thank you to me. She, the last job I took her on, uh, picked her up, took her back, and she said, "I'd like to say it's been a pleasure, but it hasn't." <laughs> she went inside. <laughs> so anyway, that was my that was my week of uh, vice. Now my mate Gary, he had also got a girl in tow and uh, his was a little more friendly than mine and let's call her Sandra yeah I think we can get away with that it's <laughs> a bit close to the name but there you go okay let's call her Sandra Gary and Sandy yeah he fell head over heels. Absolutely fucking bonkers. Not only that, but he became like her agony aunt. Three days into uh, him looking after her, he was fucking it. Unfucking believable. After the week ended, he carried on fucking it. And I told him that he was likely to lose his nuts if anyone from the family found out and the boys told him the same and he he was determined that it was a it was a thing that happened and it was a f couple of weeks of fun and he'd back away while she was phoning him all the time this girl had considering what she did for a living her self-confidence was like zero She'd phone him up and ask him about the blue dress. She'd phone him up and ask him about the red dress. She'd phone him up and ask him about shoes. You know, what do I look best in, Gary? What's this about, Gary? What's this about? All the fucking time. End of first shift. He'd go over there. You know, I mean, and we knew. We knew what, what was going on. Because we'd all be sitting there having a few beers. And then... You know, we'd be in the flat, say, and we'd watched a movie or we'd been out and, you know, we're all back having a nightcap or whatever. And then all of a sudden, Gary would go, right, oh, I think I'll turn in, boys. <laughs> yeah, you keep in here, Gary. Nah, no, I'll go back to my place. You lying fuck. We knew exactly where he was going. And he went over to Sandy's place all the fucking time he was doing this. Or at least two or three times a week. Anyway, then um, <laughs> crazy thing happened absolutely crazy thing happened Sandy quit she quit working for the family and she went legit and she went to Leicester 
became an assistant manageress in a uh, shop in the town centre. A uh, clothes shop. And she did very well. She had enough money for the flat, deposit on a flat. She had enough money put by. And Gary was going over there once a week, maybe twice a week. I mean, it was only like 20 minutes away. And um, the two of them were doing very nicely. Thank you. After about a month, probably a bit longer than that, there was some sort of bust up. There was some sort of there was some sort of uh, thing kicked off between Gary and Sandy, and basically, she uh, was being coerced by her boss to have sex with him. He had kind of worked out what she'd done before. Well, he'd certainly worked out she was a slut anyway. And and I use these terms affectionately, by the way. Uh, Gary and her had had this huge row, this huge bust up. And he came round to the flat one night. And me and the boys are sat there. And he's really pissed off and he's really fucking angry. And we were, we were like, you know, saying, well, I'm sorry, mate, but we did fucking tell you. And I think the argument was that... Her boss had threatened that unless she was nicer to him, that he could basically can her and give her a shit reference. And uh, he also knew that the reference that she came in with was forged. So it was all a bit, you know, and I think she was at the point where she was ready to agree to do what this guy was asking and Gary was saying no let me deal with it I'll go and talk to him and you know she was saying no back off uh, she wanted to deal with it herself and uh, I guess she did deal with it herself because um, probably a couple of weeks of no contact with Gary he contacted her and found out she was no longer working there and he thought immediately, right, okay, well, obviously um, she's decided not to fuck this guy. And he sacked her. What a wanker. I'm going to go and rip his throat out. So he, he asked us if uh, we're going to take a trip over to Leicester, go and have a word with this guy. And we did. We all went over, went into the town centre, walked into the clothes shop, and... Uh, one of us went to the counter and said, is the boss about? And one of the girls said, oh, yeah, he's out the back. So whilst we were distracting the other people that were working there, myself and Gary went through a door marked private to go and find this guy. And sure enough, little scummy office with a desk that only just fit in there, trying to be the big man, uh, was this bloke. And we said to him, do you want to tell us what happened to Sandy? And he said, nothing. He said, no, no, you're not getting it, mate. Do you want to tell us what happened to Sandy? And he said, she left. She went. And Gary said, look, I know that you were trying to get in her fucking knickers. And you were threatening her. And as far as I'm concerned, 
you are like the lowest form of life. You're like an ant. And the thing is, I fucking step on ants. And if you want to continue down that path, mate, please keep fucking lying to me. And I'll step on you. Well, fucking hell, this guy was shitting himself. And he said that there was a brief relationship between the two of them. And then she decided to leave. So Gary hit him. <clears throat> Seriously hit him. Guy went off the back of his chair, landing on the floor. Gary put his foot at the guy's throat. And the guy said, All right, I let her go. I let her go. And uh, Gary said, Why? said because my wife became suspicious Gary picked this guy up and uh, put a volley of fucking punches into his guts I was by the door watching out but I I'll be amazed if this guy didn't end up with half a dozen crack ribs he really fucking laid him to him the guy was doubled up over his desk and Gary grabbed him by the hair and pulled him back. As the guy's head came up, Gary smacked him in the mouth with a stapler. And the guy's face just exploded, blood everywhere. And then Gary said, come on, we're leaving. And I said, uh, what about cameras? Because I was the only one fucking thinking straight. And we asked this guy where the cameras were, where the recording equipment was, and he pointed to a video recorder. So we took the tape. And then Gary said to him, give me a last known address. And the bloke just said, she moved, she moved. And then Gary hit him again. And the guy went down, started crying. He was sitting on the floor in a fetal position and we were about to walk out and then Gary stopped. He turned around and looked at the guy. He said, how many, girl, how many more girls in here you fucked? And the bloke didn't answer. And Gary said, the next time I need to come in here I'm going to chop your dick off and fucking take it with me. Leave off the girls. And we left. And the boys left. And we got maybe 20 yards down the street. And we heard people screaming. And we thought, fucking hell, somebody's found him. And so we went to the last known address that we knew that Sandy was at. And uh, she had left. But she'd also left a forwarding address. A place in Nottingham. So we decided that we would take a trip up there and go and see if we could find her. When we found her, and we did find her, we found her in the afternoon. She was in a skank of a fucking bedsit. 
as soon as you walked in the building uh, there were needles condoms wrappers all fucking over the hallway we walked up the stairs door to her place was open and uh, there she was completely and utterly different it was still her you recognise it was her but she looked about 10 years older skin was a mess um, fucking terrible it was absolutely terrible there was uh, all sorts of paraphernalia all over the uh, flat uh, heroin and um, it was just it was just a mess she was a mess I said to Gary what do you want to do I mean she was incoherent couldn't fucking understand a word she was saying and she was just oh well I said to Gary what do you want to do he said let's take her back let's get her out of this shit and uh I think there was four of us who'd gone so we had a space in the car we're picking her up we're packing some things um, and then 10-15 minutes after us being there two guys turn up at the door two Asian guys I said what the fuck do you think you're doing and uh, we said who the fuck are you and the guy said you don't fucking really want to know that mate all you need to know is that that's mine pointing at Sandy well fucking hell how Gary kept his cool is beyond me but he just said mate you want to back the fuck off right now before you get yourself into a world of hate. She's coming with us. And the guy went downstairs uh, with his mate and we went with Sandy in tow to go down the stairs and as we got to the hallway there are four guys down there. The two Asian guys a fucking guy that looked like um, Shrek and uh, another bloke and they said do you want to put that back where you found it I don't like people touching my things oh fucking hell Gary sat her on the top landing and went to walk downstairs pulled a gun from the back of his belt and stuck it in this guy's face then all he said to the guy was back off back the fuck off now a couple of the guys um, 
that were with this bloke kind of put their hands in the air a little bit and just said, whoa, 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 calm fuck down, mate, calm, calm down. And then he, he looked at, Gary looked at these other guys and he said, get the fuck out. And the, they went out the front door and uh, <laughs> Gary said to this guy, what do you mean she's yours? He said, she's mine, I fucking own it. And Gary just said, is that right? And then he threw the fucker on the floor. Which was an incredibly dangerous thing, considering the number of needles he'd thrown him into. And he hit him with the butt end of the gun. Uh, I wouldn't imagine that this guy's sight would have ever been the same again, because he caught him right in the temple. And uh, we took Sandy, we went out the front door. By this time, I pulled my gun as well. Because I was fully expecting somebody to be outside with a fucking sawn off. And uh, watched by six, seven people. We put her in the car. And then we went off with a squeal of fucking tyres. We got back to Gary's place. And we set her up in there. And uh, we then started to make a few phone calls. We got onto a few people that we know. Uh, one of the boys uh, dated a nurse that was in the. Um, she was in the uh, the old Coven Warwick, um, and she'd worked with addicts. And uh, he contacted her, and she came over, and she brought another girl with her. Um, between the two of them and Gary, they spent, Christ, best part of a month with her, trying to clean her up. Even after a month, she she was off the heroin, but she still craved it. You know, she still wanted it. If we, if anyone had let her alone, I think she'd have. She'd have just gone out and got some. Well, it took a long time, a really long time. And Gary devoted every fucking waking hour to her. Um, he didn't come on jobs with this anymore. He didn't come on a Friday night drink with us anymore he didn't come out on Saturdays anymore I spoke to him on the phone but, and we'd go around to see him but he absolutely doted on her and uh, the two girls that were helping him out, the two nurses uh, they got her uh, on some sort of medication that kind of helped her and the next time I saw them was, Christ, four months, five months later. One of the boys who wasn't in our circle, um, 
but we knew him. He was getting married, and uh, Gary and Sandy were at the wedding. And I couldn't believe my eyes. Couldn't believe it. He looked like a clean-cut businessman in his fucking suit. And she looked fantastic in her dress. And uh, we sat down with him for about 10, 15 minutes on our own, me and the boys. And we, we were asking him how it was going. And he was saying how her parents had basically, you know, realised, or they knew what was going on anyway, but there wasn't anything they could do about it. And they had, like, embraced him as the fucking saviour of the family. And uh, her old man had given him a job. And, you know, they were living happily ever after. He was training to be a fucking bookkeeper, of all things. <laughs> a bookkeeper. It's a fantastic story of adversity. It inspired me. It inspired all of us. And nobody ever went back and, and, and said... You know, you can't just walk out on the group or, you know, any of that. We could. I think we were all a little bit jealous, really, of the way he turned it all around. Turned it into something so amazing, so special. Um, there was a legacy, unfortunately. Um, she... She had some sort of hepatitis shit or something. She would, she would need um, to be medical medically addressed. I think for the rest of her days. And uh, thinking about it now, I must admit I have to wonder whether or not it was HIV. But. Anyway, they, they never had kids. Um, they never did. I know that for a fact because I bumped into Gary. Christ, I bumped into Gary 18 months ago. That was at a mutual friend's birthday. And uh, Sandy was there looking amazing. Gary was there looking amazing. Every part of the businessman with his new car outside. <laughs> He was doing really well. They'd bought a house. And uh, they were doing exceptionally well. And from all of that, from... Um, um, you know, they, they say they say that love conquers all. I'm not sure I'd have been that brave to have falling in, fallen in love with a prostitute. I'm not sure whether or not my inner demon would have been too jealous to handle it. But she she came out the other side of a very, very bad thing. And he saved her life. There's no doubt about that. He saved her life. 
And I think in a lot of ways, she saved his. And more power to them. Gary and Sandy lived happily ever after. And that was living the dream. Because at that time, the way we lived, that was the best any of us could expect. Incredible. Guys, uh, I hope you've enjoyed this one. This has been Ken. This has been uh, this time's podcast story. And I think we'll call this one The Vice. After a favourite old TV show of mine. I will see you on the dark side. Thanks for listening. Settle down all systems.